just don't stop. Just keep going. The only difference between building a huge company and not is stopping. And then pull the trigger. Learn how to analyze, practice, and then eventually the best way to learn how to do something is by doing it. You can watch 100 people doing it. You can pay a zillion dollars for 100 different mastermind courses, but you're not going to learn unless you do it yourself. So eventually you just have to pull the trigger and, and go. Everybody want to get the bag, but y'all really know Trying to figure out how to start now. Blue chills, trying to show you the way. Cause we top finest and amortizing it. Anything it takes to get real estate. We've been grinding up there, finding ways to get there. Better hop on this wave, cause we're dropping blue gems. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems. Let's go. Another episode of Blue Gems Podcast with the famous, famous, awesome Avery Carl. What a pleasure to have you on. You really have set the stage for all of us podcasters in the STR space. Thank you so much. Um, But yeah, let's uh, hop on in. And for the listeners that don't know about you, maybe a brief introduction. Uh, I think you're giving me a little too much credit there, but thank you. (laughs) Hey guys, my name's Avery Carl. I'm a real estate investor with 220 doors. I was able to get from zero to 220 over the course of about five and a half years by investing first in short-term rentals because they cash flow so much heavier than traditional long-term rentals. I was able to build that cash flow and scale my portfolio much more quickly than if I'd started just with traditional single-family long-terms. Somewhere along the way, I think on our second short-term rental, kind of realized there weren't really any agents in the space who specialized in it or could really even answer our basic questions about like how much something should make, how to find a cleaner, things like that. So I got my license, bridged that gap and became that agent, opened our first office in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. And now we are in 15 of the top short-term and vacation rental markets in the country. Wow. the short-term shopping, by the way. (laughs) Wow. That's a quick journey uh, to success in five and a half years. So what do you think attributed your success when just starting out? Uh, Just being willing to learn as we went. So back when we started, there weren't any podcasts about this. There weren't all these gurus everywhere running around telling you what to do. So we just kind of had to figure out how to do it. And we pulled the trigger and just learned by doing. So I think for us, it was really just, you know, doing it and not sitting around and analyzing and looking at all this data. I mean, not to say the data is not important because it absolutely is. But eventually you do have to just jump in and buy something and hit the road. Makes sense. And then what about management? So how are you managing all of these units? So for our short terms, we self-manage. For our long terms, I am a big proponent of long-term property managers. But for short term, there's certainly a time and place for property managers. But if you are like we were and still are, I don't think we're finished scaling. But if you're in that true like scaling process and you're really trying to squeeze every dollar out of every property so that you can go buy more, self-management really is the way to go if you're at that point in your journey. You know, maybe later when you're like, okay, I've got enough, maybe throw them with a property manager. But if you're like I was, then self-management is kind of the way to go in the beginning for sure. And then are you still self-managing to this day? Or do you have a team now? So we have a VA who helps with it, but that's not his full-time job. So his full-time job is a lot of stuff with our other units, with some of our real estate brokerage stuff. And he only spends a few hours a week really on our short-term rentals. So uh, we have a VA that helps with it. 
Gotcha. So like you're still handling guest communications, you're still like scheduling the cleaners, the handymen, all that good stuff? Yeah. Well, most of that's automated, but for the most part, yeah. Wow. Wow. And how many um, short-term rentals do you have of the 220? So we have eight short-term rentals, but to kind of give you guys some perspective, the eight short-term rentals generate pretty close to a million dollars, whereas, you know, it takes a lot more single family and multifamily long-term to do that. So in terms of portfolio volume, it's more like half and half. Gotcha. And those eight, are they predominantly in the Smokies and 30A or? Yeah. So we own in the Smokies in Tennessee, Destin, Florida, 30A, which is Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, right down the road from Destin. And then our last one is in the Forgotten Coast of Florida on Cape San Blas. Awesome. Love it. I want to take it back all the way to the beginning. Let's talk about your first deal. How did that one go? Okay. So first deal, well, (laughs) our very first deal was a long-term and we kind of backed into that. So we didn't know we wanted to be real estate investors. Uh, We were moving from New York City to Nashville at the time. And our real estate agent was like, oh man, you got to buy in East Nashville. It's like so hip, fast appreciating. People are cashing these huge checks after only owning their properties for a few years. Little did we know what was going to happen in 2021, but back then it was a lot. And so we said, no, you know, we're moving from Brooklyn to Tennessee we want to be out in the country. We're sick of neighbors. So we bought out in the country, but then we were like, you know what? We're super into like personal finance and Dave Ramsey at the time, which is not what we subscribe to anymore. (laughs) But at the time we thought, well, you know, maybe there's something to that. Maybe we'll buy one of those houses and just rent it out. So it's not out of pocket that we're paying. And then by the time our future kids need to go to college, it will have appreciated so much that we can just sell it and pay for their college. And it won't be out of our own personal bank accounts. And we'll be like these personal finance geniuses. And nobody's ever thought of this before. And we're like, great, great plan. So we bought one of these. And luckily, it was a really good deal. Like we did zero research. We just said, okay, this is how much properties are in this area. This is about how much they rent for. Let's go. And the mortgage on that first property was $646 a month or $47 a month. And we were able to rent that for about $1,500 a month. So it had really great cash flow for a single family long term. Then when we saw that first rent check, we were like, man, we get two or three of these. That's like a lot of extra money a month. And so we had just a little bit of money left. And we said, well, what can we buy that's going to make us the most amount of money the fastest so that we can go buy more of these? And we landed on short-term rentals. We did not want to do them in Nashville because the regulations are constantly changing and we could not afford to make that kind of investment only to be told next year, hey, you can't do this anymore. So we said, where can we go that everybody that goes there rents a privately owned property like a condo, beach house, cabin? We'd just been to the Smoky Mountains and stayed in a cabin. Everybody else there was staying in cabins. So we thought, well, we'll we'll do this. Somebody owns these cabins. Why can't it be us? Because again, you know, back then there weren't all these educational resources that there are. Right. So uh, we found one, bought it, and just kind of figured out how to manage it from Nashville. Because at the time back back then, I keep saying this like I'm 100 years old. (laughs) I'm going to stop saying that. So at the time, the normal property management split for places in the Smokies was 40% of your gross. And we were like, yeah, we can't afford to give away 40%. So we figured out how to do it ourselves from Nashville. And eventually we're able to scale that over the course of about a year and a half to five properties in the Smokies. And the rest is just kind of history. Love that. So I I know that there's like a big, I guess, reservation with other potential owners or investors that want to invest out of state. What are some things they should be thinking about and implementing to have a successful, you know, uh, success from afar? 
It's really just a mindset thing. A lot of people feel like they have to be able to get to the property in case of emergency. But if you think about it, there's really no situation that I personally need to be involved in. So, you know, if the HVAC breaks in the middle of the night, what am I going to do? Go fix it? No, I'm going to call somebody to fix it because I don't know how to fix that. Or, you know, if they're having some kind of a medical emergency, I don't need to be involved in that either. If the house is burning down, I certainly don't need to be involved because you might accidentally say something that implies that you are taking responsibility for it. There's really no reason that you ever need to be at the property in case of emergency. So you just kind of have to get comfortable with the fact that you're building a team and these are the people that you call and delegate things to when these things happen. Love that answer. That's pretty much exactly the same answer that I give when I ask that question. I love it. And then switching gears a bit, let's talk about how you were able to build out your your brokerage. So walk us through the first deal until you became an agent. I actually got my license because I was I wanted to do our own deals, mainly because my husband is a New Yorker and a lot of Southern people like myself, they don't know how to how to take him. And a lot of times I would be having to like apologize for his behavior. And so I got my license so that I could deal with him and stop having to subject other agents to him being a difficult client. He's gotten a lot better, by the way. He's a great client now. But, you know, at first, not so much. So that's actually truthfully why I got my license in the first place. And it just kind of started with friends being like, oh, you have a cabin in the Smokies? Cool. You're making how much on that? I want one of those. Teach me how to do that. And then it became friends of friends. And then it became actual clients that I did not have a prior relationship with. And it's just kind of organically grown from there. I kind of built it out just based on a number of factors that we look for in potential markets to move into. So we like them to be mature vacation rental markets that don't have a lot of hotel presence where you're not going to have to worry about regulations changing all the time. Uh, We don't like metro markets for that same reason. So regional, drivable, mature vacation markets is kind of what we have stuck to. And that's, I think, what we're going to continue to stick to. And how big is your team currently? We currently have about 60 agents in 15 markets. Wow. And what markets are you in? Can you remember them all? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So we're in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. We are right across the border in what we call the North Carolina side of the Smokies. We're in Blue Ridge, Georgia, Gulf Shores, Alabama, Galveston and Crystal Beach, Texas, Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Then we're in three other markets in North Carolina, aside from the one that I just mentioned. Uh, The other one is another mountain market in North Carolina called the High Country. So that's like Boone, Banner Elk, Blowing Rock, Sugar and Beach Mountains areas. And then we're in two beach markets in North Carolina. So we're on the Outer Banks. And then we're also in what we call Carolina Beach, which is basically all the other beaches in North Carolina that are not part of the Outer Banks. We're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the Texas Hill Country, and then three markets in Florida uh, outside of Orlando, which you guys are familiar with, Kissimmee and Davenport. Our biggest Florida market is the Emerald Coast. So that's Destin, Panama City Beach, 30A, Pensacola, Navarre, all those, like basically everything from Panama City Beach all the way to the Alabama line. And then our Gulf Shores agent picks up from there. Then we're in one market just east of the Emerald Coast called the Forgotten Coast. So that's Cape San Blas, St. George Island, Port St. Joe, and in Mexico Beach. I think that's all of them. Wow, that's a lot. Are you planning on uh, continuing that and, and hitting up some new markets? Yes, yes. So we're currently hiring agents in the Shenandoah market in Virginia. And that's the only one that's on the immediate radar, but there's a few off in the distant future, not so distant, but more distant than Shenandoah is. 
Love it. And how do you go about picking a new market to target? It depends on our clients. So a lot of our clients will buy with us in multiple markets. And, you know, I just am always kind of keeping an eye on what emerging markets might be coming up. Because now, since the interest rates and economy are a little bit different, people are kind of shifting away from what I would call our blue chip markets. So like the Smokies, Destin, Gulf Shores, where they're really, really tried and true, always going to have like millions and millions of visitors coming in. They've been through every economic downturn. Boom. They've been all been through quite a few natural disasters. And they're always going to have millions of people coming. The purchase prices on those have kind of outrun some investors' budgets. So we've opened up a lot of more, a lot more emerging markets uh, in the past year than blue chip markets for that exact reason. Because now that not everybody can afford a million and a half dollar property because interest rates are 3%, they're not stopping buying, but just pivoting to more emerging markets. So that's kind of what we're looking for at the moment. And then speaking of purchase price, how are your clients financing these properties generally? Usually they're doing either conventional investment loans or DSCR loans. Those are the two top. And then can you define DSCR for someone just getting started into the short-term rental game? DSCR loans stand for debt service coverage ratio. It's not a conventional loan and it's not quite a commercial loan either. It's a portfolio loan, which kind of behaves uh, a little bit differently. With conventional loans, you can only get 10. You can only buy them in your personal name and they are based off of your personal debt to income ratio. Whereas DSCR loans, you can have unlimited finance properties. You can get them right in your LLC. So you don't have to put them in your personal name. And rather than approving you based on what you make and how much debt you have, you're getting approved based on what the property will make, typically on a one-to-one ratio. So what that means is if the mortgage is $2,000 a month, we just have to show that the property is going to make at least $2,000 a month, which of course it will, because otherwise you wouldn't be looking at it because it would not be a good investment. So as an investor, are you still looking to buy under the market conditions that we're in right now? I'm always looking to buy. So right now is honestly the best time to buy in the past two years, because the past two years, there were 100 people lined up to buy every single property. So you had to make an offer $100,000 over asking with appraisal gaps, all kinds of things. So you weren't just negotiating with the seller, you were competing against all these other buyers. Whereas now, a lot of the weaker hands have kind of been shaken out of the market and you can actually gasp, negotiate. So you can get better deals now or deals at all, whereas you couldn't in the past two years. So I think it really is the best time in the past several years to be able to get a property under contract. Yeah, that's what we're finding as well. Way less competition. How important is it to use a short-term rental agent, right? And then what exactly does that mean? Obviously, my answer is going to be biased, but I'll give you my answer. So it's important to use an agent who is very well-versed in short-term rentals. And here's why. So I used to have an office in Nashville when we first opened. And I would get calls from investors out of the blue who would say things like, oh, I found this really awesome property. It's going to make the best short-term rental. Let's offer on it. And I would look at the property and I'd be like, hey, you know, this is nowhere near, not even close to being zoned for short-term rentals. And they'd be like, oh, crap, I didn't didn't even realize there were rules. So if you call, you know, your Aunt Susie who does three or four deals a year and isn't really plugged into that space, you've just made a $900,000 investment that you can't use for what you want to use it for. So you want to make sure that your team, whether it's an agent, or lender, et cetera, do a lot of deals of the type of asset class that you're buying in the market that you want to buy in often. So, I mean, 
it's the same with any asset class. Like if you came to me looking for a 20 unit multifamily, that's a terrible decision. I'm not that agent. I don't know what I'm doing there. It's the same thing if you're buying a short-term rental. You want to use the agents that do the most deals in the space that have the most experience. Yeah, I think the local component you mentioned is super important too. And that's probably why you went the route of training agents specific to local markets. Yeah, so all of our agents live locally to the markets that they operate in. So going into a market depends as much on if we can find an agent who has the right mindset, who will work well with us and what we do and and understand investors more so than the market itself even. We are thrilled to announce Blue Gems Management. After building out 24 short-term rental properties of our own, we're now helping other investors buy their time back. With over 300 five-star reviews, we really understand the importance of guest experience. If you're interested in making short-term rentals passive, click the link in the show notes below and someone from our team will contact you soon. Now back to the show. And then from my understanding, you also have a mortgage arm of your business. Let's talk a bit about that. Yeah, yeah, we do. So we have a mortgage arm called The Mortgage Shop and started that really for the exact same reason that we started the short-term shop because there weren't really any mortgage companies that specialize in short-term rentals. There's a few now, but we kind of created a one-stop shop for our clients that you've got the agents that are experienced in it, you've got the loan officers that are experienced in it. So now you have the best team for you to be able to purchase a short-term rental in any of our markets. Got all the boxes checked. Love it. Now, when you're helping some of these investors like underwrite the properties. Do you have a metric like a 20% cash on cash return or something that you're looking for? It's going to be really specific to each investor. So, you know, some people are looking for, you know, cash on cash return is most important to them. So 20% would be the benchmark I would give there. But some people are like, actually, I'd rather put more money down to have a higher cash flow monthly than cash on cash return. And those two things are kind of inversely related. So it depends on what the goals are. Like for me, when I first started, cash on cash return was it. That's I wanted the least amount down for the most amount out. Now that I'm more experienced, have a little more liquid capital for things, I'm more concerned with how much income am I adding to my monthly cash flow of all my properties than what the exact cash on cash return is. So it depends on the goals of the different investors. But as far as the cash on cash return, I'd say 20% is the benchmark. And where do you see the short-term rental market headed? There's a lot of opinions on where the market's going. (laughs) Yeah, and there's a lot of opinions, but what everybody has to remember is that not just short-term rental real estate, but real estate as a whole is not a national thing. It's a very regional, it's a very market by market thing. So, you know, what's happening in Seattle, Washington is not what's happening in Destin, Florida at any given time. So same thing with short-term rentals, places like Nashville, Sedona, all these areas that don't really want short-term rentals, they're going a completely different direction than a lot of the areas like the ones that we operate in where there's not a lot of hotel presence. There's not a lot of primary homeowners to like be anti-short-term rental. And the ones that do live in these areas, their income is also dependent on tourism. The tourists need a place to stay, which short-term rentals are the, you know, the primary accommodation for those. So the people who live in these types of markets are not as anti-short-term rental because they need the tourists just as much as the short-term rentals do. Depending on the market is going to determine what that answer to that question is. What is your opinion on the Disney market? I love the Disney market. That's definitely a market like 
it just also kind of depends on the guests. So we personally take our motorhome when we stay at Fort Wilderness. If that were out of the picture, I would stay in a short-term rental. And the reason for that is like we have two kids. They're both toddlers. They're completely nuts. We're like, we just, our life is too crazy to be staying in like the Grand Floridian or something where it's super convenient to get to everywhere in Disney. But our kids need space and they're loud. And, you know, it's, you know, one of them might wake up at three o'clock in the morning and they're up and, you know, not having to worry about neighbors and things. So having that space in the kitchen and, you know, because our kids are, they're not always going to eat restaurant food for breakfast. They're probably not going to do well going to a buffet in a hotel kind of thing. So short-term rental, I think, is always going to be there. It's always going to be a big presence in Orlando because that's the biggest argument against the short-term rental market in Orlando is, well, people can just stay on property. Yeah, they can. But when you stay on property, you're not really in control of your own destiny. So, for example, when we stay at Fort Wilderness, we're at the mercy of the bus system, the boat you have to take across to Magic Kingdom. Whereas if you're in a short-term rental, you've got your own space, you've got your own kitchen, you're able to handle whatever might be going on with them. You're in control of your own destiny, getting in your car, driving, not having to worry about bus schedules and things like that. So I think there's always going to be that subsect of tourists like me, for example, who wants that space rather than necessarily it making a lot of sense to stay on Disney property. Love it. Now, we've already talked about like the zoning component If I'm a newbie investor wanting to invest in short-term rentals, what are some other things that I should be thinking about? Newbies, I would say regulations are always number one. So you don't have to invest and stick to true vacation markets like I do. You can do metro markets. People make money there all the time. Regulations are really important. You have to decide what's important to you. So I see a lot of people lately saying, well, you have to underwrite the deal so that you could use it as a long-term if it doesn't work out. To me, that doesn't work in any of my markets. So (laughs) I'm not, (laughs) if something were to come along and wipe out all the short-term rentals in 30A, not all of us are going to be able to get long-term tenants and not, most of us are not going to be able to get it to actually cash flow at that. So that's more of a metro market thing. So if you're just so scared and so nervous that you need it to be able to be a long-term rental, then I would go metro market. So for me, I'm all in on the vacation markets. And here's why, because like I kind of mentioned, all these markets have been around for decades and decades and decades. Like we've had vacation rentals and deaths in Florida since before there was electricity. My grandmother has been coming here and staying in vacation rentals since 1937. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. So these are areas that I'm willing to go all in on. And I don't necessarily like the idea of if you're not comfortable enough with the market to where you feel like you have to have a backup plan, then maybe that's not the right market to go into. Love that answer. You mentioned earlier the reason you didn't want to go into metro markets was for hotels. So can you talk us through some of the things that you're seeing in terms of people lobbying against short-term rentals? Sure. Uh, So my experience is going to be a little bit dated because I haven't been worked in a metro market in a while. But yeah, I hate to pick on Nashville, but since I live there, that's where my experience is. So what you're seeing in Nashville, the majority of tourists who came to Nashville up until about 10, maybe 15 years ago, we're staying in hotels. Then short-term rentals really established themselves as an actual asset class. So you see a lot of people buying short-term rentals, taking a lot of market share away from hotels really quickly. You also have primary homeowners whose income is not dependent on the tourism industry. So in Nashville, like you got a people, a lot of people working for Nissan, Bridgestone, places like that. They don't want your short-term rental opening up next door to them. And they're not going to be as lenient about it as people who live in vacation markets. I mean, hell, I live in a vacation 
vacation market. And I still don't want a short-term rental. I'm as short-term rentally as, as short-term <laughs> rental can be. And I still don't want one next to me. Those are the two factors that contribute the most to anti-short-term rental legislation. So that's why I kind of stick to markets where it's been the normal thing for people to not stay in hotels, to stay in short-term rentals for decades and decades. A lot of times it's not going to look like, oh, the hotel lobbyists are in town doing stuff. It's going to look like in-city council meetings that city councilmen will say it's negatively impacting the primary home residents. But a lot of times it's not always coming from that. There'll be a little bit coming from that, but it's mostly coming from the hotels who have lost a lot of market share to short-term rentals. Awesome. And you're a big proponent of you know self-managing and you mentioned automation before. What are some automation tools or software that you've implemented into your business to alleviate some of those guest problems? For us, we use Guesty for hosts and then we also use Price Labs as a pricing manager. So Guesty for Hosts has automated all the things that we used to have to sit down every day and look at all of our calendars and do. So every day we used to sit down and say, okay, we have people, two sets of guests checking in within 48 hours. Let's send them our welcome message. Oh, looks like we have somebody checking out tomorrow. Let's send them their checkout message. Oh, look, it's the beginning of the month. Let me write out all of the different terms we have and send them to our cleaner manually. All of that's automated now. As soon as somebody books on Airbnb or Verbo, it automatically syncs to our cleaner's calendar. All of our messaging is automated, so they automatically get that check-in message 48 hours before check-in. They automatically get the checkout message. Then we've also got use TouchStay as a digital guidebook. So that's got everything in it that they could possibly need to know about the property, like how to work the thermostat, how to work the TV, everything. So those are the three things that we use, Guesty, uh, Price Labs, and then TouchStay for a digital guidebook. Amazing. And what do you use Price Labs specifically for? Oh, yes. So Price Labs is a dynamic pricing tool. We used to have to price our properties manually. We would sit down, I think, once a month and look at our calendars and try to match up pricing with different things that we knew, like different events that we knew were happening in the market at that time. So whether it's holidays or events coming up, and we would have to try to figure out how high to price the property or how low to price the property. Price Labs, and I'm probably going to butcher exactly how it works, but uh, <laughs> tools like Price Labs are automatically analyzing all that stuff all the time. So they are analyzing current and past booking and pricing information for all of the properties in your area to figure out the highest possible price that you you could rent your property for uh, on any given day. So you do have to manage it. It's not just to set it and forget it. Like if you have it set up one way and you notice, okay, we're, we're about three weeks out, we're not really getting any bookings, you might want to go and lower what they've got in there. But um, for the most part, dynamic pricing tool, it prices your property appropriately. And our income actually went up about 20% when we switched from manual pricing to using a dynamic pricing tool. Do not use the Airbnb pricing tool, y'all. Anybody who's listening, don't do that. It's designed to book you at the lowest possible price. They are looking out for the guests, not for you. Use a third-party pricing tool, PSA. I love it. And you mentioned Airbnb and Verbo. Are you on any other platforms? We are not. We tried booking.com for a little while, but we stay so booked on those two platforms that we just don't further complicate our lives. But that's not to say that we wouldn't eventually add it in the future at some point. And then what about direct bookings? What is your opinion there? I know it's a highly debated topic. <laughs> yeah, so there's definitely a lot of opportunity in direct bookings. And I do think that there's value in not being 100% dependent on the OTAs. We have a direct booking website, but to be honest with you, we really don't 
don't mess with it too much because again, we just say so book through the platforms. We're fine with playing their game. And, uh, but there's definitely a lot of value in it. It's just not something that we've taken the time to do. How many hours would you say you're managing your properties per week? For one property, I'd say it's less than an hour. For eight, I would say about four hours a week. Amazing. That's not too bad. I know it's a uh, market dependent, but you know, some individuals are having pretty tough times right now with, with travel slowing down. Are you experiencing that? And, and if so, how are you combating that and getting some more bookings? So we're actually $12,000 ahead of this time last year. So we're doing fine. Here's what I think is contributing to a lot of that. I'm not saying that travel hasn't slowed down in certain areas because I'm sure it has a little bit, but everybody in 2020 and 2021, everybody looked like a genius who bought a short-term rental. You could rent anything. My rescue chihuahua, who's made an appearance a few times over the course of this call, could have <laughs> bought a Porta John and rented it last year and made money. So there's a few things at play here. A, a lot of investors who did not have to make any effort, who bought in this time when you did not have to make any effort to make money, are now having to learn to make effort. Also, 2020 and 2021 did not have normal seasonality. Typically, May and September are both really slow times because you're right in between spring break and summer. And then in September, you're right in between summer and fall break. So people aren't really doing a lot of traveling during those two months. So everybody who bought in 2021 completely fell apart in May. And they're like, oh my God, we're not getting bookings. The sky is falling. What have I done? And all the rest of us are like, May's usually a slow month, guys. You're fine. And then in June and July, they were like, oh, okay, cool. And then they kind of fell apart a little bit again in September. But so I think there's a number of factors here. So people who bought in a not normal seasonality time now experiencing normal seasonality, a slight decline in travel, but also just the people realizing that this is a business that you have to manage your systems. You cannot just throw it up there and leave it and think that you're going to make a ton of money. So I don't think that there's necessarily less money to be made, but you do have to pay attention to what you're doing nowadays. Makes, sense. Makes a lot of sense. So you've built a brokerage, you've wrote a book, you have a mortgage company, you've done all these incredible things. What would be your advice for someone just starting to build their personal brand? Just don't stop. Just keep going. The only difference between building a huge company and not is stopping. Keep it simple. Yeah. Take action. So as you know, we have a lot of newbies, people just getting started in short-term rentals. What would be your advice for someone just starting out? Just pull the trigger, like learn how to analyze, practice, and then eventually the best way to learn how to do something is by doing it. You can watch 100 people doing it. You can pay a zillion dollars for 100 different mastermind courses, but you're not going to learn unless you do it yourself. So eventually you just have to pull the trigger and, and go. Got to take action. Love that. And then what does a day in the life look like for Avery Carl? <laughs> um, <laughs> any number of things. Uh, children kind of keep scheduling from being maintained. But my husband, Luke, and I both wake up at 4 a.m. He runs every morning at 4 a.m. I kind of, I'll typically do it in the afternoon. I do the, the breakfast shift. I call it with the kids and get them ready for school. He takes them to school. I get to the office around eight o'clock and then he goes back to work uh, at his office right after he takes them. And then it just depends. There might be some podcasts I have to do. There might be some content. Typically, whatever I have scheduled for the day will be interrupted by a number of real estate brokerage fires that have to be put out. Like, you know, there's some kind of a dispute between a buyer and a seller or 
or, you know, any number of things that can go on in a real estate transaction that you get sucked into. So I like to say that my day is meticulously planned out, but it's normally not. <laughs> I've set myself up to that. I do not work after 2 p.m. I shut it off. That's when the kids get out of school and we're doing stuff. So whether it's one of the kids activities like soccer or tennis or if we're going to the pool after 2 p.m., it's kid time. It's family time. So that's very cool. But the rest of it's chaos. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, if you could leave one more blue gem for the listeners, it could be about life. It could be about being a parent. It could be about real estate or short-term rentals or growing a business. What would you want to leave them? I think I'm going to have to go back to that same answer that I gave for what advice would I give to a newbie? It's like, just pull the trigger and just don't stop. You have to jump in and then you have to keep going if you want to be successful. Awesome. And then Avery, where can people find you? Uh, you can find us on our website, theshorttermshop.com if you would like to buy a property with us as your agents or you can find us on YouTube, Instagram at The Short Term Shop. Facebook, we've got a public Facebook group called Short Term Rental, Long Term Wealth. Same name is the book. Come join us over there for some discussion. Awesome. Thank you so much, Avery. Really appreciate it. If you're interested in scaling your short-term rental portfolio and networking with like-minded individuals, we host a short-term rental meetup once a month in downtown Orlando. Click our link below in the show notes to register. See you at the next one. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems.